0: Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. We are joined today by a familiar voice, Dan Well, Marketing and Insights Director at MRI Stroke Springboard. Hi, Dan. How are you? I'm
1: good, Simon. How are you?
0: Yeah, good, thanks. So we're going to be recording a few of these over the next 12 months, aren't we, kind of every four to six weeks to pe- keep people up to speed with footfall trends and the insights that you're seeing. But since we last spoke, and there might have been a clue in your job title, we've now got mri in there so do you want to tell us about that big change to the organization
1: certainly and we have Um, at the end of september last year actually um, springboard was acquired by mri software which um if anyone does know who they are and i must confess i didn't until we started the acquisition process um mri is the uh, leading um company in the property tech software world. So providing technology and software to occupiers and to owners to help them manage their uh, physical estate. So there's lots of synergies between what MRI does and what Springboard does. And one thing that they were lacking, which is the reason why they acquired Springboard, was any customer analytics and data. So hopefully we're going to be able to supplement their proposition and also add real, um, real value to our client base as well. So um, really exploit those synergies between the two organisations.
0: Exciting time. Sounds like a, a win-win for everybody then.
1: Yeah, no, it is really exciting, really exciting. And um, there's lots of other insights that um, MRI have um, under their hood that we're going to be able to exploit and help people understand what's happening, things around energy and also understanding um, what's happening in terms of occupiers in, across property assets um, in different sectors across the UK and also internationally because because MRI actually is a US-based business. And they've got over 3,000 employees that I didn't know, um, 1,000 in the US, a 1,000 in EMEA and a 1,000 in APAC. So it's a much, much bigger business than Springboard
0: good okay well we'll we'll keep we'll keep close to that as we record future episodes in terms of you can give us an update on how it's progressing any other bits of insight that might be useful for listeners to understand
1: certainly we will do
0: so i know you're speaking again at our productivity forum in september um always get great feedback on your sessions and everybody that attend, attends finds it really insightful so i think the the themes of these podcasts are going to be just about that regular update the trends the insights you're seeing where we're moving in terms of our shopping patterns and behaviors so do you want to kind of kick off with the latest view of the world that you and the mri springboard team are seeing
1: Yes, yeah, sure. Um, so there's obviously some underlying long-term trends that I um talked about in the last conference that I was at with you guys. And um one of the key trends out of those is hybrid working. And this is really influencing um, how shoppers behave. Um, we've just completed our February results and released our February uh, reports. So please feel free to go onto our website at spring-board.info and dip into those. But what we saw actually was really quite interesting, given the cost of living crisis. Particularly was that footfall in February actually rose from January um, by nine point four percent, and it, you know versus a drop in January. But then footfall always drops in January from December, clearly once Christmas. Trading has finished. We've got no money, and no one particularly goes shopping. So that's a long term trend. Um, and but we're seeing this. We saw an uplift, which was, which was positive. Um, but actually, it was the biggest uplift in February since 2010. So that you know, despite this cost of living crisis, and this is a um, a trend that um, reflects some of the, the feedback I've had from both um, shopping mall owners and also retailers that they're really not seeing yet this huge impact of the cost of living crisis in terms of shopper numbers. Um, Yes, people may be trading down in terms of value, but certainly they're still going shopping. Um, But we still have this gap in footfall from 2019, and we would have had a gap anyway, as I have said numerous times, because of this migration over to online with more browsing being done online which reduces footfall anyway but the gap is sitting at still at around 12% and and more than that in shopping centers and high streets 15% in high streets and 16% in shopping centers so we're not back to anywhere near where we were in 2019 but i wouldn't expect us to be and also the hybrid working element is suppressing footfall particularly in high streets we're simply not in our towns and cities as much as we were pre covid and that of course impacts footfall
0: and is that shift likely to continue you think you think i mean i read the the news i'm sure you get the same updates as me from all the various outlets there's certainly was a drive to get people back in the office that seems to have tapered off now and we're settling more into this hybrid world but then there's also this push certainly from the big retailers, of this four-day working week. So does that free people up to go out more to shop or does it just mean we stay at home more, do you think?
1: I mean, it's really interesting with the four-day working week, isn't it? Because um, (laughs) I think there's a cultural shift that's required for us to get our heads around that in large part. Um, And I think people tend to work at home on a Friday. At Springboard, we or at MRI Springboard now. We actually carry out um, a survey of consumers every quarter to try and, understand what they're doing and how this influences um, footfall, particularly in relation to hybrid working. So one of the questions we ask is uh, around how many days a week do people work at home? And we've consistently seen um, that over 50% of um, respondents work at home for at least part of the week. And actually, this is starting to increase. And in February, it was 56% from 53% in november so you know certainly hybrid working is becoming solidified it's becoming mature it's something that we're all doing um employers of course who have to pay the rent and rates on office space are keen to get us back into our offices for at least part of the time but i think they're having to recognize that actually most people don't want to be in five days a week anymore they 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 like hybrid working um and particularly on a friday of course and um i think while some employers are looking at four-day working weeks and some are testing it i think in large part we we will be still at a five-day working week but albeit that people will largely be working at home on a friday um so i don't think things will shift too much from that but we are already seeing shifts in consumer behavior around how we shop as a consequence of hybrid working which are really interesting
0: and it's interesting because there's some organizations clearly, if you're in any customer facing environment, five day, four day working from five day is a really tricky transition because you need to balance rotors and deployment. And yeah, we'd all love to be at home monday friday and have a a long weekend so i think we've got to remember that the vast majority of the population in the service industry and if you work in the the public sector hospitals etc they're 24 7 environment so it's a smaller proportion of the pie that potentially get this option
1: absolutely And, and what we've seen again from this consumer survey that we carry out is that um of those people who do work in a hybrid fashion um you know, the, the the overriding change in their behaviour has been uh, a less frequent visit to retail destinations. But you know, underlying that are also changes around how long they spend in 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 retail destinations. So they're going less frequently, but they're they're spending longer when when they're there. They're mixing their shopping with um, leisure and eating out more than they did. Um, and this was a trend that we were seeing pre COVID anyway, but it's been Accelerated through COVID because actually, you know, thinking logically about it, and we all think about our own behavior, you know, we're simply not in towns and cities as much. So when we do go, we tend to make more of a, a visit of it and, and make that much more of a leisure trip. So it's much more about experience rather than functional shopping. And interestingly, at the same time, because people are working from home during the week and they can't necessarily go shopping during the week as they perhaps did when they're in towns and cities in their offices. We've seen a slightly greater increase in the influence of Saturday as a shopping day. Now, it's quite a small marginal increase at the moment, but this is only the start of of the trend, really. So actually, what this may force retailers to do longer term is to put more energy and resource into the weekend um, shopper. So actually staff up at the weekend make sure that more people are working at the weekend, which sort of goes against the four day week unless they're taking their four days, which includes a Saturday.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but you know, you, you would have thought that it would be the evening, but it's actually a Saturday that's becoming even more important.
0: And it, It's always been, I suppose, a, a bit of a holy grail in retail of get your evenings and, and weekends, right? Cause that's where people at work, you know, nine to five or in those types of environments will come to your shops. I, th- I think there's been a, there was a real push on it. Maybe that's been relaxed slightly post lockdown, but having that experienced colleague at the weekend is crucial because what you tend to find is it's your more part-timers, your students, you know, maybe people that can't work in the week because of childcare commitments, et cetera, that get out. So there's that balance of keeping your more experienced colleagues happier, but also making sure you don't lose that experience at the weekends when you've got a peak in footfall. And therefore if people are spending longer when they are out shopping, more of an opportunity to sell to them.
1: Absolutely. And all the feedback we've had from our um, shopping centre clients is that actually on a Sunday particularly, um, it's, a, it's a different dynamic in terms of shopping. So um, Sunday, it tends to be a family group. Uh, they tend to spend longer there. Uh, they make bigger purchases because they've got the whole family group there. So you need, as you say, you need those experienced salespeople and colleagues um, able to maximise the value of those trips um, so you, what you don't want is all those experienced colleagues on a Monday and Tuesday and a Wednesday when people are working at home and have um, you know fairly new um, novice colleagues in on on a weekend who perhaps can't maximise that sale so it, it, it is going to be a challenge you know as all things in retail everything is always moving um, it doesn't feel like it moves very quickly sometimes but it is constantly shifting uh, because our behaviour is shifting and I think you know, certainly since COVID, we've seen the greatest shift in behaviours for decades um, as a consequence of COVID, you know, it has created that seismic shift where, you know, and that's driven out of the changes in the way we work.
0: Absolutely. So good news, footfall is on the rise from coming out of January into into February. What other key trends are you seeing at the moment?
1: Well, um, I mean, some of the other underlying trends were the sort of resilience of retail parks that we saw all the way through COVID. That's still the case. You know, retail parks are still the location of choice for many shoppers. Um, the gap in footfall in retail parks from 2019 is very minimal. Um, so they really have uh, managed to hold on to shoppers. And of course, you know, we know that the majority of shoppers buy the vast or most of their food in store rather than online online. Um, so that's continuing. Um, and because of the limited supply in retail parks, of course, they're ever more valuable as an asset for the owners. So they're constantly seeking to reinvent them and, and improve them. And that's all to the benefit of shoppers. And, of course, um, you know, pro rata rental levels are lower in retail parks for retailers. And you can get much more in those stores. So there's lots of tenancy engineering going on in retail parks. And I think everyone will have seen those in their own retail parks, their own local retail parks. Um some of the, you know, the M&S's who were used to have three or four stores in a town are rationalising that presence and coming out of some retail parks, and that's opening up opportunities for new tenants. And, of course, that opens up new opportunities for shoppers as well. Um, so lots of things around retail parks. Online is particularly interesting because everyone um, anticipated that once we had bought into the idea of being online shoppers, we would carry on being online shoppers after COVID. But actually that's proven not to be the case. And we've all gone back to our pre-COVID behaviour in terms of the proportions of us who spend in store versus online, which is really interesting. And that's a really good um, indicator of the future of bricks and mortar retail. Um, you know, it's, we are you know, the same proportion virtually now spending online as they were pre-COVID. And actually, if we if online spending had followed the same trend line that it had done pre-COVID, so which is about 3% increase each year, we probably would have had a higher proportion of online spending than we do currently. So it's actually dropped back a little bit in terms of trend line. Um, so that's a really strong, positive um, future influence for bricks and mortar retail.
0: I think from a cost point of view, if I was a retailer, I'd be thinking about my online operation now because national living wages is is forcing costs up. Clearly there's supply issues. Uh, You've got the big four grocers who are kind of competing with each other to keep raising that bar on their minimum payment to attract the best colleagues. But that cost of that online pick and then the um, reverse logistics is just rising all the time. We were in a conversation the other day where they were picking, the stock comes in, gets put on the shelf so I've touched it once it then gets picked by the colleagues to go out for delivery pick, touch twice if there's not 100% pick so there's something out of stock they don't do substitutes or part pick so it all goes back so touch three times if it is successful and goes out there's I think you know there's more than 50% because this was fashion that comes back so it's picked three it's touched three or even four times then at a rate of 10.50 plus an hour that whole metric of the online channel and the stores, the colleagues doing the work is rising exponentially in terms of cost. So I, I think that's good news, good news for bricks and mortar, good news for, for certainly retailers doing that. But also I think they're all starting to rethink that model of, is that a channel we really want to drive because the cost all sits with us?
1: Absolutely. And I mean, this, this that sort of mirrors the conversations we're having with our retailer clients. We're saying actually pro rata, it's way more expensive to Uh, service online trade than than store trade even with the um cost of occupation um so and you know you know i think the retailers are learning in the hard way that particularly in the fashion and the fast fashion sector that it's that they are they are saddled with a huge overhead in terms of online and um you know i mean and you can see the signs of this happening you know with amazon going into stores albeit they you know they're they're not a bricks and mortar retailer so even they've had to learn the hard way that it's actually probably not quite as easy as they envisioned it would be um and it takes a real skill to sell in store um but certainly and they they recognize that people want to go to destinations. you know the more we work at home on our own the more we seek um sensory pleasure and the the company of people and um that doesn't mean that we want to run back to our offices five days a week. It means we want to go out and socialise when we can. So that means that actually footfall is being, um, you know, it's becoming more resilient, which which is really good news. So yeah, the cost of online operations is skyrocketing, and of course, if the government come forward with some form of um, rate review for um, online then or a sales tax for online, that's going to push costs up even more.
0: Yeah, yeah, and we'll just then push more people back into it, and. Yeah. Again, we're seeing lots of, in terms of the social channels, more offers that are store-only based rather than online-only based. So just that whole drive to get people in on the understanding that they're probably going to spend more and I'm not going to get as much back. And, you know, it's that experience sensory thing you talked about before in terms of just reconnected people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, even sort of 10 years ago, John Lewis was saying that, you know, customers who – ordered online and came and, you know, click and collected actually spent more, a lot more than if they had it sent to them because, you know, once you're in a store, there's all those products to buy. And, you know, hopefully if you've got great staff to engage with your customers and actually, um, up, upsell as well and increase that ATV and the conversion rate, then there's almost a double bubble there. So, um, and, you know, you know, your you know, your costs, you've got a fixed environment, um, you know, you can plan for seasonality because it's a tried and tested formula, um, and you know a lot of what we buy is about what it looks like to us and what it feels like, and um, you can't replicate that online.
0: No, no, absolutely. So, retail park's a good place to be. Certainly, yeah, absolutely. Our local ones, lots of redevelopment, corners of car parks being carved off for Tim Hortons drive-throughs or Greg's drive-throughs, etc. So that whole restaurant leisure piece coming through lots more and more any, any other key bits that you want to cover on this one?
1: Yeah, I mean regional cities which were lagging behind our small high streets out of COVID, because of course, you know, as we were in lockdown and working at home, we sold rediscovered our local high streets as as, as consumers, and of course that helps smaller businesses. Um, regional cities are starting to pick up now, and actually regional cities, big cities outside of, of London, have caught up with market towns in terms of the recovery back to twenty nineteen footfall levels. So people are definitely going back to the office, but um as i said that 's still in very much in a hybrid fashion so um and but it's you know ha- smaller high streets haven 't seen the dip in footfall that that perhaps we we were anticipating would happen if people went back to the office, which is again really encouraging so there's seem, there seems to be a bit of a win win for people with hybrid working and I think the thing about you know where we are now in terms of the evidence we have is that we 've never had this evidence base about the importance of working population to bricks and mortar destinations. And this is the first time we've had that. And suddenly we realise that actually without um, employees and the working population in towns and cities, um, they're much poorer places. So um, certainly for those who manage destinations, they need to be thinking about how they can make them um, attractive and encourage people back into towns and cities in a way that suits their their current working world, working environment, and their and how they live their lives.
0: Yeah, I think a lot a lot of the kind of your Costas, your Starbucks, I think BrewDog do the same, are encouraging people to go and work there as well. So they're a lot a lot more amenable to you going there, buying a couple of coffees throughout the day. I think BrewDog you can get a table and you get free teas and coffees, and then at the end of the day you get a pint of beer or non alcoholic beer. So again, thinking creatively about pulling people out of home not necessarily back into an office but in a a different environment is great gives them some revenue but also gives us a different perspective and you know you might bump into somebody you know so from a social point of view all the better
1: absolutely and i mean i was in a coffee shop in london yesterday and you know people were sitting there for a long time just working and you know they were very happy for that and they were actually serving at the table they were bringing coffees to people which of course is important because you in in a coffee shop you don't want to be leaving your bags and having to go and order another coffee but um you know those you know those workspaces outside your home so you can just get out of your house for a while um are really important and of course that will bring people back into high streets and this is this particularly works outside of london of course because um in many cities outside of london it's easier actually to get into the city center than it is in central london um you know you have to be fairly affluent to be able to live in locations close to the the center of center of london whereas you know, in Leeds and Liverpool and Manchester, you can actually access those areas much more quickly. Um, so, yeah, there's lots of changes taking place. And of course, those, those, those workspaces um, that will sort of evolve organically are really important and um, will bring a whole new um, profile of shopper into town centres.
0: Excellent. And we'll finish on London. Is there any particular insight in london has it stayed relatively stable is it trending the same as other parts of the uk or differently
1: um london's always lagged um other other places in terms of recovery simply because um you know i mean i know we have now have a london office and we didn't before you know traveling into my london office takes me an hour and a half (laughs) and so you know you tend to do that and you plan those, those those journeys more carefully so it has tended to lag but it's latterly it's starting to to come back. Um, outer London has still has still strong greater resilience because a lot of the working population in London live in outer London, but it's starting to, to get there. And um, but I think we have to face facts that you know even in central London, football levels are going to always be lower than they were pre. 2019. Um, but actually, you know, as people want this experiential trip, um, people will head towards bigger cities. And of course, if you haven't been to London for a long, long time, you'll want to go. And if you've got Saturday free, you'll, you'll make the trip in, into London on a, on a Saturday. And if you're in the office one day a week, you may well combine that with eating out and meeting friends or going shopping in the evening. So I think for London, it's going to be about uh, evening shopping um, and making sure, obviously, then stores have the right colleagues in to maximise the value of those those transactions.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I've been in London recently. Probably more weekends than weekdays, but certainly feels busy. Certainly lots of experiential stores. So clearly you've got the Microsoft one on the corner of Oxford Circus, but on running they've got one now. So again, retailers being smart in that's the only place you can go and experience that. So you they're pulling people back into the centre.
1: Yes, absolutely. And London always been the place where you know, if there's a new retail concept, it will be tried in London first, simply because the sheer volume and weight of a of, of footfall and the diversity of the shopping population. So I don't think that will change. And actually, um, there are more opportunities opening up, certainly in terms of pop-ups and temporary shops for, for new retailers. And, you know, a lot of the, the retailers that um, innovative, smaller retailers that have grown online are starting to look at pop-up stores, and they're looking at those in London in the first instance. So I think we're going to start to get a whole new generation of retailers cropping up over the next sort of five to 10 years.
0: Excellent. Good. Well, we'll pause there for this one. As I say, we're going to do these more regularly this year. So every kind of four to six weeks, so it'll be interesting to see how things change during each episode. But I think we close this one on a, on a positive note. Things are, are looking relatively healthy. It's not as maybe doom and gloom as, uh, as was once forecast.
1: No, it's. Um, I'm feeling relatively positive about it. I mean, there are challenges, of course there are, but hopefully this will encourage retailers and act as a sort of incentive for retailers to review operations and review their strategy uh, to align themselves with the new consumer.
0: Brilliant. Thanks, Dai. Always great to talk and we'll catch up on the next episode.
1: Thanks, Simon.